you to know as we look at Joshua chapter 6 is that this was a true story. This was a historical narrative of something that absolutely happened. That's the first and primary concern is when we look at a historical narrative to understand this is a true story of something that actually happened. To the Jews, they actually marched around the city. They actually shouted and the trumpets blew and the wall fell down flat. J. Vernon McGee, in a visit to Jericho years and years ago, uh, noticed that the walls had fallen down flat. They didn't fall out. They didn't fall in. They fell down. It's a miracle. It actually happened. I'm always humored by the uh, commentaries at this point, some very liberal, Uh, Some believe that by the constant marching around the wall, they loosen the foundation. (laughs) Must have been some big guys marching around that wall. Or that the vibration of the shout was so like breaking glass that the vibration of the shout actually knocked these massive walls down. A joke, these men are. It's, It's much easier and wise to believe exactly what the scripture says i never forget years ago when I visited uh, Israel, and uh, there's a phrase about the Mount of Transfiguration that Matthew describes it as a high mountain apart. That's how Matthew describes it. And I got there, and what they believed to be the Mount of Transfiguration, it's a high mountain apart from anything around it. Everything's flat in the middle of nowhere, this massive mountain comes up. I thought to myself, standing there, gee, just like the Bible said it was. Go figure. So this is a historical narrative. You need to know that. This really happened. But if we stop there, and that's all we're studying, there's really no purpose for the New Testament believer to look back into Old Testament narratives. There's no purpose. Unless we're looking for spiritual illustrations or truths to be seen in the story itself. Jesus once was talking to the Pharisees and he said this, you search the scripture because you think in the scripture you're going to find life. Jesus says, no, it is they which speak of me. It is they which are always talking about me. It's called Christocentric preaching and teaching. Now, you've got to be careful when you go back into Old Testament stories trying to draw allegories out or meanings. You can get real weird. If you've ever listened to Harold Camping, you know what I mean right away. Um, The first couple hundred years of the church, history of the church, they had a real problem with allegorizing scripture. Even the great Augustine uh, got real crazy with allegories that You know, in Job, the 7,000 sheep meant something in Israel. They're just pulling stuff out. We don't want to go there. But when we look at the story, there's things that just just pull out of the story that are so spiritually true, we can't help but notice them. So let's go to the great story, the story we heard as a little kid in Sunday school about Jericho, Joshua fit the battle of Jericho. And uh, actually, the song's wrong. He didn't fight the battle of Jericho. The Lord did. But let's anyway look at it. Joshua chapter 6. Joshua chapter 6, go down to verse 15, if you would, with me. 
I want us to notice the characters in the story. There are several. Let's just point them out. There's God, of course. There are the Jews. There are the Canaanites. There's Rahab. I think we got it. Look at verse 15. On the seventh day, they rose early. Now, they have been marching around the wall for six days. I want to notice something just in passing, not to make a big point of it, but I want you to look at verse 12. It says, Then Joshua rose early in the morning. Well, by day seven, they all got in the habit of it. Verse 7 says, On the seventh day, they rose early. It wasn't just Joshua. Now, some of you are early risers, and some of you aren't. If I were to say, I want you to rise early tomorrow, some of you might think, well, he means 10 o'clock. But in verse 15, it tells us exactly what the early was. And I'm an early riser. Nobody likes me in my family. I try to stay away from them. When I get up, I get alone and don't make too much noise. Notice they rose early at the dawn of the day. The sun crested over the mountains. These men were up. They were serious. They had passion. They were excited. They got up early as the sun was coming up. No cornflakes. Maybe maybe a loaf of bread, and on they went. Notice. They marched around the city. Now, it doesn't say they walked and doesn't say they ran. They marched. I've marched in my day in a short period of time in the Navy boot camp, and it's quite an experience to be with a whole group of men and march in file, to stay consistent with the pattern, to follow the leader. It's the idea of walking with purpose. They were marching around this city. Now, There were two million Jews. All of them didn't march around the city. Only the warriors. It's unreasonable to think two million walked around a city that circumstances about nine square miles. What a big city. Big wall, not a big city. So the warriors, probably a quarter million or more, were marching as the people probably stood behind. At least that's how I envision it. So they marched. Notice they marched around the city in the same manner. The word or phrase in the same manner is one word in the Hebrew. One word in the Hebrew is the word mishpat. It's the word mishpat. Interestingly enough, the word means to walk and stand in judgment. It means to be a judge and to stand with gavel in hand. That's what the phrase mishpat means. All six days, quietly, they walked in foreboding judgment on the city itself. Warning of the judgment that was to come. How patient of God. How loving of God not to storm the city, 
but to give those Canaanites six full days to quietly watch that procession and watch that Ark of the Covenant that pictures the gospel of Jesus Christ and wait and wait. But in the same manner, they got up and they marched around, notice, seven times. Now notice how emphatic scripture is about that number seven. It was only on that day that they marched around the city seven times. The number in the Bible for seven is the number of completion. There are seven days in a week. It is God's number for completion. It's a picture on the seventh day of walking seven times of the complete and full judgment of God that was going to fall on this city. Not only that, it was a picture of the complete deliverance and salvation of Rahab and, the, and the, Rahab the harlot and her family. Complete. It is a picture of the complete victory of the Christian over sin. For Jericho stands forever as a picture of the flesh and sin within the life of the believer. Those walls you could never knock down by your own effort, God will push down and has pushed down in the gospel. The sin that does so easily beset you, the sin that hounds you, that's in the back of your mind, even as I speak, that you think you'll never get deliverance, I've got great news for you. God has already given complete victory over that sin. You just need to understand that, know that, believe it, and start marching in that. And you'll see in a minute, start shouting. Caleb brought an excellent point last week, among many, about the revolution. They declared their independence before the first shot was fired. It's like they declared, we're free, and then the battle started. It's always the other way around with the world. We fight, and if we win, we say we're free. Not America, we say we're free and then we fought. The Christian doesn't say they're free from sin after they've defeated sin, or God has. We declare even now in the midst of our flesh and difficulty and sin. We say we're free. And in that freedom, we believe that the cross yields that answer. So, seven is an incredibly important number. But let me just move on to another. Seven times seven is 49. 50 is the, is the year of jubilee for the, for the Israelite. At the beginning, the end of 49 years, the first day of the 50th year, the trumpets were blown and everybody went free. No mortgages. You didn't have to work for the man anymore. Amen. You were free. Now they never celebrated that jubilee. You know that they never did. But God has always celebrated the jubilee in the gospel of Jesus Christ. Let me tell you something else this seventh day did that's merciful with God. You're inside the wall. You're a Canaanite. We're going to see what happens to all these people in a minute. But for right now, you have an army marching around your wall. Day one, they go around one time. They go home. Day two... They go around the city, they go home. Day three, they go around the city, they go home. About day four, you're like, okay, I've seen this dog and pony show before. You don't even get up anymore. You just eat your omelet and you go around your business. And yeah, here they come again, those crazy Jews around the wall. But all of a sudden on the seventh day, they go around 
And every, the few that are up there still watching the deal, they see him go around twice. Three times. All of a sudden, the word begins to spread. And you know how people are. We can talk fast and the word can spread fast. Long before we had tweets and texts and emails and all that kind of stuff, that people talked and they still could do it. And within a few minutes, the whole city knew something's different about this seventh day. And as they all came out of their houses, and many of their houses were in this wall, they all ran to the side. I could just see the wall filled with people. That does two things. It gives those people one last chance to repent and believe in Jehovah and run to the house of Rahab. But it also positions all of them, or most of them, on a wall that's going to fall flat and kill them. You see the full judgment of God? We are living and have been living for 2,000 years in the last days. But I have to believe the time is very close. And he's calling on you if you don't know Christ to repent because the judgment is coming. It absolutely is. If you don't know Christ, run to him today. Run to him today. So this wall is filled. Notice verse 16. And at the seventh time, when the priests had blown the trumpets, Joshua said to the people, Shout! For the Lord has given you the city. Now, here it gets a little awkward in, in chronologically. Because verse 17 I'm not sure this was told beforehand and the writer just put it in here or because he gives the people a command to shout and then he goes, oh, don't, don't, don't. usually you tell people to shout and they're going to shout. But here's a little commentary about what you're to do when the wall does fall. And the city and all that is therein shall be devoted to the Lord for destruction. What does it mean to be devoted to the Lord for destruction? It means everything dies. Everything dies that has life. You're going to find it goes down to the cattle and the donkeys. Every man, every woman, every baby, every two-year-old, every eight-year-old, every teenager every old man, they all get thrust through with the sword. Now this is a huge problem for the pagan and one that you might be confronted with. This is what they always bring up when you gather around with atheists and agnostics and, oh, your God is a brutal God. Well, let's sort that out so that we have an answer. Number one, these people are incredibly sinful. They were incredibly sinful. There were sorceries going on. There was spiritual darkness in that town. There were babies being fed to the fire to Moloch. And these were unrepentant people. I spent 4th of July in St. Mary's where Mike Roddy's band played Christian music for a mostly pagan crowd. And as I listened to the, the, the gospel going forth through the music, I walked through the crowd to get my annual funnel cake, which I was real excited about. And I passed by, and they just finished the song, and there was a guy with his wife laying in the grass, and a guy rose up like this. 
was making fun. And his wife put it, you know, stop, stop, stop. Yeah. Mocking what they were doing up on the stage as they worshiped Jesus Christ. Sin is a whole lot worse than we'll ever imagine it to be. We don't know sin like God knows sin and understands how wicked sin is and how it destroys that which he loves in humanity. Uh, These Canaanites had had their opportunity. They'd watched Sodom and Gomorrah go down with fire and brimstone for the sin and judgment of God. They had Melchizedek for many years as the king of Salem, a king of righteousness in their land. They knew when Israel crossed the Red Sea, we know that because Rahab, in talking to the spies, says, since the day you came across the Red Sea, said, our hearts have trembled within us. They knew about the 40 years in the wilderness that Israel wandered and was taken care of by God. They knew the kings in the wilderness that Israel had destroyed and God's miracle working power. They watched it. They were fed by the Jordan River. Did you know that? So when the Jordan was cut off, they knew it. The water went dry, and as they peered over the wall, they watched two million Jews, by the miracle hand of God, pass over into them. They had days to repent. They knew the power of God, and they still mocked, and they refused to repent. They had plenty of excuses. God does not bring judgment without folks understanding and knowing and being warned. He loves all humanity. He loved every one of those Canaanites. If he hadn't, he'd just brought fire down, and just the first day, he'd have destroyed them, but he loves them. It is believed that the wickedness in, in Canaan land was so bad that if God had not brought Israel in to clean out the land and judge sin and purify that area that that wickedness would have spread throughout the world. And the days that we and I live in now are inconceivable of the sin that we would see in our society. But God brought Israel in to produce Jesus Christ. As Christ died and the gospel went forth, the world, the light of the world, this world is a much lighter place because of Christ and the gospel. Do you understand? You think this is wicked now? This is nothing. This is Disneyland compared to what the wickedness would be if God hadn't judged these people and judged sin. By the way, the babies, the little tiny children that died before the age of accountability, he took home. He took out of that. They would have grown up and died and gone to hell. But the pagan doesn't understand that, and never will, but at least we've got a few things. Remember this, not even the Christian knows how bad sin is, not even us. Sin is so wicked. You want to know how bad sin is? Look at the cross of Jesus Christ, and look at the payment he gave to pay for sin, his own precious blood. That's how bad sin is. So, verse 17, the whole city goes down, only Rahab the prostitute and all that are with her in her house shall live, because she hid the messengers whom we sent. But you keep yourselves from the things devoted to destruction. This is important. 
lest when you have devoted them, that you take any of the devoted things and bring the camp of Israel a thing for destruction and bring trouble it on. But all silver, all gold, every vessel of bronze and iron are holy to the Lord. They shall go into the treasury of the Lord. This is the only time, most times after this, they could take gold and silver home, but this is the first city. This is the first fruits. This is the first victory. And it's all God's glory and it's all God's stuff. Any victory we have as believers in in Christ are all him and none of us. Uh, Matthew Henry has an interesting comment. He said that he brought... God brought the Israelites in for milk and honey, not gold and silver. I like that. Milk and honey. That's what he gives. All right, you ready? Big climax coming up here, verse 20. So the people shouted, and the trumpets were blown. And as soon as the people heard the sound of the trumpet, the people shouted a great shout. And the walls fell down flat so that the people went up into the city every man straight before him and they captured the city it happened just like that Josephus reports that when Joshua and his men went over that wall that those Canaanite soldiers who were left were such in a state of shock They just stood there with eyes wide open as the sword was thrust through them. Not a lot of fighting going on, just a lot of sword thrusting going on. So, I thought we'd do something different this morning. Like sometimes we do stuff that's different. Now, if you have trouble with loud noises, you might want to plug your ears. But I thought we'd shout this morning. And you got to stand up to shout. So stand up. I know it's the middle of the sermon. Some of you, now if you stay seated, we'll know you're asleep. So just, some of you went to sleep. You know, I don't know what we're going to shout. Uh, I, gotta, I guess I'll give you, I guess we'll do the Marine thing so everybody's on the same thing. What's the Marine thing? Hoorah! All right. I'm the, now, we're going to have to do this about three times to get it right, but I want us to experience a little bit, and again, if you have a problem with loud noises, just do this. I understand. Some people are freaked out about that kind of stuff. So on the count of uh, three, I want to give us our first shot. One, two, no, not yet. Not yet. There's a brother that's excited. Susan went, to a, Susan went to a church years ago. She got excited in the Lord, and she stood up to shout or say something, and she looked around, and nobody was excited, so she just went like this. <laughs> I want you to know at Circles, man, you can shout, because we got a message you can shout about. Okay. Now, just be patient, brother, okay? One, two, three. Hoorah! That's pretty good. I'm going to give you two more, though. See if you can do better. Ready? One, two, three. Hoorah! One more time, the best. One, two, three. Hurrah! All right, y'all be seated. Yeah. (laughs) 
the walls fell down flat. What's the spiritual significance of this? When you shout victory in the Lord, now that victory had everything to do with the Ark of the Covenant, the Ark of the Testimony, that Christ was in the midst of this camp. The victory's never ours. It's always his. When we look away from ourselves and we don't look at our own abilities, our own whatever, it's all Christ. We can legitimately shout and say this, I am reckoned myself to be dead indeed unto sin, but alive unto God. I reckon myself to be dead to that sin and alive to God. If you're just dead to the sin, you're just dead. But we're more than that. We're alive in relation to our God. Three things, and I'm done. Number one, what God does, he does in fullness. Nothing can be added to it. It's all done. What he does, he does in fullness. You don't, you don't add anything to the victory that God has already given to you. You are more than a conqueror through him that loved us. March around that wall. Number two, we shout over a victory that is already ours. It is ours. Caleb said in his prayer, don't pray for victory. Don't pray for peace. Trust the one who is peace. You know, I used to go to Morrison's. I, I just hated the fact they shut that thing down. How many of y'all remember Morrison's out in Orange Park? Man, we used to go there like every Sunday and uh, saw George Witterling there one time. That was an exciting moment, old George. And a uh, little Japanese lady was, used to dish the food out. I'd smile at her. She always gave me a little more. You know, I'd smile. <laughs> there, there are people behind dishing that stuff out. If you just smile, you'll get, you'll get a little extra. You will. But you know, that was a smorgasbord. That was like a Piccadilly where it's just, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm like that, I'd like that. I don't like that. Ooh, that doesn't look, ooh, no. <laughs> Christianity is not smorgasbord where we say, God, give us love, give us your peace, give us your vic- victory. Give it. it is all wrapped up in Jesus Christ. He is our redemption. He is our sanctification. He is all those things. And the Lord must always remain the center of our attention. It's when we get our eyes on ourselves or others or things that we go down. This is a wheel off my bad boy. Bad boy's a riding mower. I like my bad boy. I really do. I partly got it because it's named bad boy. I just like it. (laughs) It's got a picture of a country singer with a pick on it. I like that too. But I don't like the front tires because they didn't put a tube in it. Not a good design. So I got I to tube this thing because it's flat anyway. But see, you got a wheel and then you got a hub and then you got the center. Christ is the center of our attention and must be all. You get your eyes on the rubber, you're just going to go flat right there, right there. And you'll know it right away. You know it right away. There's something missing, and it's we've taken our eyes off the center of all things, which is Christ himself. He's our life. He's our everything. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, let's, let's, let's not do that. Lord Jesus, we pause. We ask for grace and mercy and kindness during this time. 
And uh, we thank you for a story that is not only historically true, it is wrapped up in spiritual truth that feeds our souls. And uh, I pray for anyone here today who does not know Christ as their Savior, that they would run to Jesus and be saved. And call on the Lord to be saved. I pray for the rest of us that you'd heal and minister to hearts that are hurting today. And may we all place our eyes on the source of life and the only one that can heal and the only one that can minister and the only one that can fix the wrong, the only one that can give us victory. And we so desperately need it. Lord Jesus, we just pause and thank you for the gospel. And for this time, we've sung it, we've preached it, and your work is your work, and we give that to you in Christ's name. Amen. Amen.